0: We all know there are times when you don't have many choices in who you work with, like when a pipe bursts and you need a plumber right now. But when it comes to your mental health, you should have choices so you don't get stuck with a therapist who can't remember what you tell them every week. To find a good therapist for you, try ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including thousands of mental health providers. We're talking about therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed, in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments, either online or in person. I use this, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com stronger and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C slash stronger. Zocdoc.com slash stronger. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, a psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record the show from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Do you ever feel like life is just one big crisis after another? Do you have a close friend or a family member who seems to thrive on gossip or even creates problems when there aren't any? Do you have anyone in your life that you'd consider to be overly dramatic? If you answered yes to any of those questions, this episode is for you. If we're honest, we've probably all had a time or two when we've stirred up a bit of unnecessary drama, or at the very least, enjoyed watching it unfold. And I suspect you know someone who seems to absolutely love drama. Either way, our guest today is going to help us better understand why some people are actually addicted to drama. I'm talking to Dr. Scott Lyons. He's a psychologist and the author of a new book called Addicted to Drama. Some of the things he talks about today are the symptoms of a drama addiction, how to respond to a drama addict in your life, and the steps you can take if you dabble in drama yourself. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for The Therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'll give you my take on Dr. Lyons' strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Dr. Scott Lyons on dealing with a drama addiction. Dr. Scott Lyons, welcome to Mentally Stronger.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure.
0: I'm excited to talk to you. So as a therapist... I've seen this play out, the idea that people can be addicted to drama, but I've never like heard it phrased that way.
1: Mm. So I love
0: that you wrote this book called Addicted to Drama to really put a name to a lot of the things that we see. But for people who don't know what you're talking about, can you define what drama is?
1: Yeah, of course. Well, you know, it's interesting because what I find is that it like viscerally, we all kind of know what an addiction to drama is. Whenever I've gone and done a talk, I've always asked, all right, who here knows someone addicted to drama? And at least everyone raises their hand. Sometimes people raise both hands and sometimes people start cheering like they they like, feel validated and seen. And then I go, and how would you define it? And the hands go down. <laughs> right. And it's interesting we know it so intrinsically as humans. Like we know when our mother-in-law is addicted to drama or our brother or our, our someone at work. But it's not so easy to define. And drama is essentially the unnecessary turmoil, chaos, and crisis It's a exaggerated and intense response to something that doesn't necessarily warrant that amount of energy, attention, and emotion. And an addiction, there's lots of definitions of addiction, but an addiction is essentially a void, an absence of something within us. And we utilize whatever it is that we become addicted to, to fill that void, to occupy the absence of where we belong in ourselves. And that's a very gabber mate approach to an addiction. And so putting that together, we become reliant, dependent on stress, chaos, and crisis to fill the void of where we don't belong to ourselves and where we don't feel belonging to other people as well. An absence of belonging, which leads to an inherent loneliness.
0: Oh, that's a great description. And I know in the therapy office, it will sometimes play out like the crisis of the week. And sometimes yeah. it takes a bit to, to realize. So somebody will come in and they're like, my goodness, you're not going to believe what happened to me this week. And maybe you could spend the whole session kind of hammering out a strategy of how to deal with it. And then they come back next week and it's a completely different crisis. And if you ask them, well, what happened to that one last week? They might not even remember because they've had 25 different crises between then and now. Or they'll say, oh, yeah, that actually didn't didn't turn out to be a big deal. Anyway, here's you're not going to believe what I'm dealing with today. And so obviously, as I became a much more seasoned therapist, learning about, you know, you don't really need to attend to the crisis of the week. It's the much bigger picture that you need to work on.
1: Yeah. I call that crisis hopping. Yes. So <clears throat> in, in therapy, it's like, okay, we've we've addressed this one particular crisis. We've dealt with it. They start to relax and then immediately they reflexively go into the next crisis. And it's not really about the actual next crisis. It's about avoiding that settling or relaxation that is inherently dangerous or feels dangerous for these individuals.
0: And do you think it's because people are trying to make their... Outside world match how they feel on the inside, that when somebody says, if things that like if my life were calm, yet I feel like I'm in utter chaos, it doesn't make sense. So I'm gonna stir up some trouble to kind of make sure that the outside world matches how I feel on the inside?
1: Absolutely. We all avoid dissonance. You know, whether it's an internal feeling of like sadness and we think like, you know, this idea that sadness or misery loves company, we go seek it. And it's not just because, oh, it's a, a nice You know, vibe that feels good. It's because it feel we feel in sync, and that it gives us a sense, at least momentarily, of belonging. And so, yeah, for those who are addicted to drama, because the way that their senses have evolved to be on the constant lookout for threat and challenge based on previous traumas, and so they are not only they have that filter, so they're seeing the world and experiencing the world through that negative bias through that need to know what is the next issue or the next challenge or the next stress. And if they can't find it, they'll seek or create it to, to confirm their underlying experience. And then it, when the world feels out of sync, which it so often does for those who are addicted to drama, it, the, the way we fix or remedy that is by putting that chaos internally into the environment or roping people in like a tornado, bringing people in to that- that's that vortex that cyclone until we feel this false sense of belonging,
0: yeah, that's the thing when somebody encounters a crisis and they often have to call everybody they know to tell them about it, right, <laughs> and make sure that that they are kind of stirring up how other people mm-hmm. are feeling as well,
1: yeah it, you know it's it's it, that that constant venting, that constant retelling of the story. I mean, we all know it to some degree. It's like I got the phone. I told one friend about my boss, and all of a sudden, like I'm on the phone again with my other best friend, saying the exact same story. And at what point do we go? Why hasn't it resolved? What didn't I get from my friends the last few times I vented this story to that hasn't helped me metabolize that experience? Or am I actually using my friends to throw logs on my own fire? Mm. And I'm using that emotion, that intensification of experience to actually avoid the underlying vulnerability of my own experience.
0: Ah, that's a great question.
1: Yeah. It's
0: easy to recognize other people who do this, but do you find that people who are addicted to drama recognize that they're doing it?
1: Not at all. Yeah. no. So when I go to those conferences or talks and I go, okay... Now, you know, do you know someone addicted to drama? Raise your hand. Everyone does. And then I go, and who here is addicted to drama? And it's maybe one or two shy hands that they're like, will I get bonus points if I say yes? Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, and then, then I usually say, I think you should lower your hand because it's probably not you. <laughs> but maybe it is. Let's explore. And yeah, I mean, like any addiction, and that is one of the aspects of an addiction, is we typically um, do not see ourselves as the, the main culprit of the issue. It's everyone else. It's everything else, especially with an addiction and drama. Uh, that's how they see the world. The world is against them. The chaos, drama, find them. It's not like they can't ever see the way in which they are participating in their own suffering, the way that they are disturbing or interrupting their own peace. and And part of that is, is because... When I say interrupting our own peace, it's that reflex that I was talking about earlier. The moment we start to settle, the moment we start to relax, those of us who have an addiction to drama, including myself, uh, <laughs> feel extraordinarily vulnerable to the next potential threat. And so what do you do to maintain the energy energy to stay vigilant and ready to engage and adapt to the next potential threat, you have to re-energize yourself. You have to restress yourself. And so it becomes a reflexive action. And we all know this. If you've ever sat in a bathtub, gone to a meditation class, gone to a yoga class, places that are relatively serene in, in potential. And yet we're in them, these environments, and all of a sudden we're thinking about what we have to do for work the next day, or we're thinking about our ex, Or we're thinking about, we're all of a sudden playing out a fight that hasn't actually happened with a friend or a lover or a parent. And it's, or we're walking down the street where we don't have anywhere to go and we notice we're rushing ourselves. I mean, anyone who's ever been in New York City will find themselves in that position. These are all ways we're interrupting our own peace. It's like, okay, I'm already feeling sensitive. So what do I do? I go on social media and I start comparing myself to other people. I'm feeling kind of sad. And I go play Adele music. I'm interrupting. I'm adding layers of this emotionality on top of what I'm already experiencing so that I actually can't go into that settled, quiet, relaxation, recuperation phase of life. And so we all know it to some degree, but when it's so intrinsic, when it's happening all the time, that's very much an addiction to drama. And we have all these tools, we have all these devices to make sure we never contact that place of vulnerability, to contact the pain that's embedded within that vulnerability, likely from our past.
0: Yeah. And I, you bring up a good point that sometimes people will say, well, just practice mindfulness or work <sighs> on some meditation. But when your nervous system is so activated that yep. you, you, just it's not going to work for you when you sit down and like try to be calm, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I have a big rule. I never suggest people to take deep breaths and get calm. You know, the um or certainly, you know, get calm and carry on or anything like that because for them it's dangerous. Right. It feels against their nature of preservation. And so to ask someone to go against their own sense of safety in order to calm down because you think that's right as a therapist or as a friend is is so against the grain of their you know, nervous system, the wiring of what's
0: happening. Do you want to get high-quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash stronger and use code stronger to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. And sometimes I'll see people who are well-intentioned, like I'm going to help my friends because my friend has an ex that we don't like, so we're all going to stage this thing in their driveway in solidarity, or they get involved in lots of other people's business and it... (sighs) I think that they really believe like, yeah, I'm going to help my friend, but they get so overly involved in other people's business that they, they almost create another crisis by saying, you know, I'm going to abandon everything I had going on today in order to help you. And, and then their friendship circles, sometimes it seems to be like it's contagious, right? They hang out with other people who are also addicted to the drama.
1: Yeah. So like the fixers, the martyrs who end up being enablers, because it too, when you're in someone else's drama, it's a beautiful way of being distracted within yourself. Yeah. Or distracted from yourself, actually. And so, and what you're referring to is what I call drama bonding. And it's like, oh, we're going to throw logs on each other's fire as a way of um, like keeping it going because it is contagious. It's energizing. You know, when we're talking about energy, like that first stage of a stress response is called activation. It literally is the cells releasing glucoids, energy, a whole system of energy into your body to adapt. It feels like, ooh, you just got a battery pack or you just drink a ton of coffee. And so if you're tired, if in general, because you're not actually being allowed to recuperate because of that activation reflex we talked about earlier, or just the desired. Of energy gives you a sense of purpose and importance and power in the world, in a world that we feel so powerless in. Then things like gossiping, uh, throwing logs on into each other's fires, going and stampeding in ex's house with a friend, whatever it is, feels energizing. You feel, and that energy is often interpreted as power. And so it it is, it's seductive in that way.
0: Ah, That makes sense when you frame it like that, right? The people that are like, I'm going to help somebody else. I'm going to save them. And it feels good to wake up and think, here we go. Today, we're going to do this thing, even though it may not make sense to go do that thing that you're about to do.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, I've certainly had enough people who come into my office or people I interviewed for the book. And they're like, "Ah, I have this friend who's just so addicted to drama. And it's so exhausting. It wears on me. And one of the questions I ask at some point in the process is, how are you enabling them? How are you participating? And what purpose does that serve in your mind body?
0: So that's a good question. So let's talk about that. When you you think I'm not the one who's addicted to drama, but perhaps my friend is, or all of my friends are, what else can we do to, to put a lid on it?
1: Well, if we're the ones who are kind of in the crossfire of their drama and a lot of us are um there's a lot of you know strategies we can do that's going to be very boundary you don't have to give up the friendship although sometimes you might need to or the relationship especially if it's a parent or you know a, a child of yours it gets more complicated in that about how do you take space but you can certainly affirm your boundaries like You know, if someone comes in and they're always focused on the negative, always focused on what went wrong, it's always something they say, (laughs) you know, and, and they're using intense, exaggerated language, always, never, you know, generalizing one small part of their day into their life, you know, like, oh, my boss hates me because my boss came in and said, Hey, can you get this to me by four o'clock today? And so it's like this generalized and it's exhausting to be around. So what do you do as a, um, as a listener? You might say, look, I have, I'm happy to listen. I got 10 minutes of time for you in relation to this. Or I know there's a lot of like hard challenging things that you want to talk about. For me, it's important that we balance it out with some positive things that also happen through your day. Or, you know, there's nothing more um, challenging And being with someone who's in the throes of their drama crisis, in the throes of their process, and you're stuck in a a room with them. So I always suggest go on a walk, go motor. If you can be in public spaces and motor, there's a better chance that they're not going to be able to rope you in as strongly. Or just in moving your body, you're already processing some of that extra energy that is your kind of in taking in from their tornado, from their cyclone of drama.
0: I like that idea. As a therapist, I have a clear end time, but I can imagine sometimes being trapped in a room with somebody, feeling like you're trapped in a room where somebody's rehashing their breakup over and over again, or how unfair their custody issues are, or they're telling you all about somebody else's medical issues and nobody else is paying attention. And suddenly, you know, like everybody else's business and you might not even know these people. And you think- Gosh, you know what do I do? And you feel almost like a a captive audience, or you're being held hostage by somebody who's telling you all this stuff over and over again. So I love the idea of setting some boundaries, asking for the good stuff, and what a great idea to say, let's go for a walk, or let's move around and get some of this energy out.
1: Yeah, certainly as a therapist, I feel like there's more power in the place because we get to utilize tools. Like often when someone is crisis hopping, I'll say, "Ooh." I really want to pay attention to that thing you just said. I'm wondering if we can add a little space between the words. I never say slow down. It's a very specific cue that putting space between words helps me tune in more to myself and slow down without it triggering the same reaction that I, it would be if I were to say, can you slow that down? Often that often also feels invalidating to someone because of the urgency that they experience. And so if, I say, if, if I'm saying like your urgency is wrong, that's going to trigger, that's going to throw a log on their fire. So there's a lot of tools we have, and I put them in the book too, as therapists. These are things we can say as therapists, and maybe depending on the relationship, we can say as friends or lovers as well. Um, I might say like when they're not in the absolute crux of of a drama, I might say, hey, here's a strange practice I want to do with you today. Like, let's take 10 minutes to eat an apple. So it's like helping them attune to the subtle flavors of life as opposed to gross generalizations. Like, oh, it's just an apple. All right. Well, what does the apple taste like? What is the texture of the apple? When we can get into the nuance of something like that, we have more likely the opportunity for them to get into the nuance of the underlying feelings and needs that they are so out of contact with. We might say, oh my gosh, my friend is so emotional, but those are not their true core emotions. Those are the emotions they deposit things into that help distract or are big enough to do multiple things, to help them be avoidant of the underlying core feelings and help them feel something in relationship to the pervasive numbness that they experience as part of their own, typically developmental trauma.
0: And do you have any tips for if you're dealing with somebody who kind of keeps rehashing the same <laughs> thing over and over? And maybe you've heard this 12 times and like you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I get it. Your boss is not very kind sometimes, (laughs) but they keep telling you about it or this relationship issue over and over again. What do you do in that situation?
1: As a therapist or as a friend?
0: Let's say as a friend.
1: Okay. So I might say something like, oh, I feel like I've heard this story before and I want to make sure as you're telling it to me again, like, is there something I missed last time that you really needed to be heard? Um, Is there something more I can offer you this time so you feel held and supported That, um, so it doesn't feel like it's such a big burden on you. So I kind of turn it around in a subtle way of going, hey, we're actually missing something.
0: I like that because somebody might be rehashing the same thing because they feel like, well, you didn't understand like how intense this is, or you're not getting how bad this is. So then they kind of go over it again, right?
1: And there's a truth to that because those who are addicted to drama, because of that numbness, because of the walls they've had to erect to... Become safe in the world, they actually can't take in validation. They can't receive being seen and heard, which is the thing they fundamentally need and have been missing. And so, if I say to most clients who um, have an addiction and drama, I say, I really hear you. They'll say, hmm. Or they'll just keep talking over me. And I'm like, oh, I hear you. Like, I hear how challenging this is for you. They're like, Okay. Anyways, I'm going to keep talking because they can't really pause to take that in. That would be too vulnerable. It's the same way that those who are addicted to drama have such challenging intimacy and relationships because it inherently feels too dangerous to let the drawbridge down or open the windows to themselves to really receive someone and be received. Vulnerability, which leads to intimacy. And so they find all these ways to protect themselves, including what looks like behaviors that are so extreme, jealousy, fights, you know, these ways of navigating relationship without having to be in relationship.
0: Right. And I think as the listener, sometimes it's tempting to to reorient them to a different perspective. Like, well, maybe yeah. your boss didn't mean that when they said that, or perhaps your other friend, yeah. you know, didn't, didn't really do that, or maybe it's not such a big deal, but those things don't work, right?
1: No, those reframes absolutely do not work because that's not what they need. What they need is, well, what they feel like they need and what they actually need might be two different things. They're in the active addiction phase. They are revving themselves up so that they can go into a full body activation, like a volcano building up, so they can have a big eruption, a cath- an unorganized catharsis. And then they get some sense of pain relief, they get some sense of power, and they get some sense of overall discharge. And so they interpret that discharge as, uh, it's solved. But meanwhile, the entire city has been burned down <laughs> <laughs> in the wake of their, tor- of, of their volcanic eruption. And then they typically go, you know, from that big relief, which is really temporary, truly, to starting to get bored and anxious. And their medicine for boredom and anxious is to re-rev themselves up to hit, get those hits of stress. And start building up that energy again. Because in in the anxiety and the boredom, underneath that is um, they're getting too close to making contact with the underlying um, unprocessed emotions. And so there's a fear factor that also goes in there, an alarm that we interpret as anxiety. But that alarm is really saying, hey, you're getting too close to the underlying trauma. So let's shake shit up.
0: Yeah. I've seen people do some interesting things, whether they go on social media and post sort of like a vague thing to try to like lure people in to say, Oh, what's wrong? Why'd you post that? Or they oh message an, an X, you know, something sort of like to try to lure them in or go yeah. out and do these things. And then are like, why are they doing this to me? Or why did this happen? And, yeah. um, and it's difficult for people around to understand. And other people often offer solutions as well. Like, Oh, just ask again, or try this other thing, and yeah. when somebody's addicted to drama, they don't want a solution either, right they're yeah. very convinced that those things will not work.
1: no, they don't want a solution. What they want is well, what they are dependent on is this process of getting that charge, getting the pain relief, because one of the things that's really interesting about a stress response, just like when you go running, you get that pain relief, that endorphic high that's because. It's Well, let me say it this way. It's the exact same thing in a stress response. You get this endorphic high to protect you from a fight that you might endure as part of resolving a stressor. So we have a natural pain reliever that comes with both belonging and love and with stress. And when the belonging and love is off limits because that induces too much fear, what are you going to go towards? You're going to go towards the one pain, natural pain reliever that you have left, which is stress.
0: So let's say everybody around somebody who's addicted to drama starts to set some boundaries and starts to do some of those things. Does that help heal them? Or will they just go find other people who will become more of a captive audience or get more involved in the drama?
1: Yes, to both. Okay. (laughs) I think, you know, they'll, they'll feel abandoned by your boundaries. They might turn it back on you and make you the villain. Uh, and they will often go seek other people that are more susceptible to the drama bonding. And we see that play out like in our friend groups of like, whoa, I don't think I want to gossip anymore and deal with this, or I'm not going to go participate in the after work gossip happy hour. And you suddenly feel like over the next few weeks at work, like, huh, I feel like they're not talking to me as much. It's because they will go to the people that they feel can enable them, that can feed them essentially their dependency. And that is one of the things we have to deal with as in getting and taking care of our own self in relation to those with an addiction to drama.
0: Right, because I know sometimes people will say, well, I feel kind of like I abandoned my cousin Mm. or my friend Mm -hmm. who said, you know, like, gosh, you know, help, this is going on this weekend and I need this or that but it was like every weekend so at some point yeah. when they set boundaries but at, on the other hand they say you know but i think that they feel like i'm not there for them anymore but mm-hmm. i couldn't give them everything that they wanted
1: yeah it's hard it's it's a hard process to be on the other side and care so much about someone and love them and you know at, and through certainly through my book i want to really just identify that how do we create more empathy for this because so often people will be like you know, especially on social media, I see these, oh, you're just talking about narcissists. I was like, you mean human beings? Uh, Or you're just talking, they're just attention seeking. I'm like, wow, we really lack depth and empathy of understanding because, or empathy and depth of understanding rather, because it's like, first of all, give those people attention. Does it feel like they actually resolve? No. So, your theory of that this is just about them attention seeking doesn't actually play out because they can't receive the attention. That would be too vulnerable. The only way they can actually feel in sync is, or feel seen, is if the world is in sync with them. Your misery is my misery, which is why they do things called weaponized empathy. They will create conditions till you feel as bad as you. Per- quote unquote, made them feel. And um, it's, oof, It that, that it's a brutal process <laughs> because there is no win to that situation. It's an eye for an eye and you can never win. But yeah, it lacks, there's a, just such a lack of empathy of like, um, again, the attention, the idea that's attention seeking or they're narcissists. Um, and we throw those terms around like narcissists. I'm like, do you actually know what that, means or that there's an underlying human being that's imprisoned within themselves. And then narcissism, the over-attention to themselves is because they cannot put that drawbridge down to feel in relation to other people. So the only person they truly have a reference to is themselves. They are imprisoned within their own pain and only able to reference themselves because of it. Yeah, and you're right.
0: That word gets thrown around. Like, are you dating a narcissist? Is your boss a narcissist? And all of those things without really realizing, like the need for human connection is huge. And when people feel like they can't connect, all of these things happen. What about for somebody who's listening who might be like, well, maybe I am a little addicted to drama too, if I'm (laughs) honest. What kinds of things can they do to work on that?
1: Yeah. Well, my friend, if you are a drama dabbler, uh, then congratulations, you are human, first of all. And look, I, I'll say one thing before I talk about some sort of remedies, which is 30, 40 years ago, we saw an addiction to drama more in isolated occurrences. Yeah, the, the conditions that are very specific that create this pathway of dependency on stress was, was more far and few between. But now we have a media system specifically social media, that is replicating those conditions on a mass scale. Meaning we are in a endemic of an addiction to drama. So even if you're like, that's not me, the truth is it is a little bit you. Regardless, you didn't do anything wrong. We we all operate in what's called an attentional economy. An economy in which your attention is the main resource, the main commodity. And the price for that of gathering your attention and maintaining it is a constant induction of stress. So you start to build a tolerance level in the same way all the other addictions work towards the ways in which they are capturing and maintaining your attention. Like the violent language on the, no- violence on the news, a more intensified language in social media or intense images You know, the replay of a tragic event over and over and over again on the news or on social media, all of these things you start to build a tolerance to, meaning it takes more to feel more. It takes more for them to capture your attention. So they have to throw more at you. In the same way that you build a tolerance, you also start to build withdrawal. So that might look as like, I'm bored with life. I'm anxious because I'm not getting that stimulation that helps me feel alive. And the piece about tolerance is we become numb to sensation. And so we need more to feel more, literally, to feel more alive in the world. And so we become in the same sequence dependent and having withdrawal symptoms from stress. And we don't even know it. So if, like I said, if you're a drama dabbler, Welcome, you're human, and you're in a culture and a system within that culture that is actually creating that in you. And so there are lots of things we can do. Moderate how much stimulus is enough. Get bored. (laughs) Allow yourself to have less information, to have less news, to have less incoming scrolling, you know, less images. So that you start to become more sensitive to the nuances of life as opposed to an onslaught of sensory overload that is so important. you know <clears throat> I get criticized for this, but I stopped watching the news twenty years ago, and I, people were like, "Well, aren't you like naive to the world?" And I was like, "Do I appear naive to the world?" And if I am, that's my self-care, so I don't care. I am so much healthier. Because I'm not attached to the news. News is a performative manipulation. I will say that again. It's a performative manipulation using specific tools of language, imagery, and evocative emotions to keep your attention so that they can sell ads. I'm not like some conspiracist. This is just what it is. And that has an effect on your physiology. And that's what I care about. Your physiology, I care so much about and helping you understand what is it to feel overwhelmed. Like we don't often know we're overwhelmed until we have been flooded. And there are a lot of signs before that, that we can start to recognize, oh, I feel uncomfortable in my body. Oh, it's harder to breathe or take deep breaths. Oh, I just don't feel comfortable sitting or like settling, all of those signs. Let me know I am on my way to flooding or in the addiction language, we would say odine, odin on stress, overstimulation, which just leads to burnout. So to, to start to identify si- signals in your own body to say, I've had enough. I'm gonna turn off the news. I'm not gonna go engage with that person that is gonna rehash the same story or pull me into it. Or I'm not going to go scroll in media. Or you know what? I love Adele, but I'm not going to play her song right now because that actually would bring me to that flooding level of, of over um, too much emotion that I actually can't process and metabolize.
0: So those are all really good strategies. Tough to do. But once Tough you to start do. to recognize, okay. Yeah. And just those little things. I know a lot of people who work from home now and they keep yeah. the news on in the background all day long really? while they're working. Oh my gosh. Yes. And you think just having that in your head all day long of the next yeah. crisis and what's going yeah. on in the worst of the worst can definitely yeah. take a huge impact on you.
1: Yeah, well, let me just throw out a study just to help people confirm what I just said. The Boston bombing, there's a study about the Boston bombing in which they... um They studied the individuals who were there at the event, and they studied people who watched it on the news. Because the news replayed it at least 26 times a day within the subsequent week of the event, they found that the severity of post-traumatic stress disorder was higher in the viewers than those who were at the event. Wow. That is serious. And why? Did they keep it? Because it captured your attention and it kept you invested at a price of your nervous system.
0: And that's a great example because it wasn't <laughs> that long ago where we thought like you'd only be traumatized by something if you were right in the thick of it, that yeah. you had to have personally experienced a near-death experience or something yeah. along those lines. And it really wasn't until I think 9-11 that we got really clear on the fact that seeing those images on TV can yeah. be so harmful for us. And that's a great example of how seeing it over and over and over again does keep us in that heightened state of alert. Yeah. One last question for you then yeah. is, do you think that this is a like a symptom of another mental health issue? Is it more related to PTSD or depression or anxiety? Or do you think it's, it sometimes then causes depression, anxiety or even PTSD?
1: Yeah, I actually believe it it stands alone on its own. And and there's a reason for that is because when we look at the physiology or the physiological symptoms of what's happening in addiction to drama, which is they start to settle and relax and then they rev themselves up, that is unique to this phenomenon. We don't have that in, in like other areas. Like even in PTSD, they might get triggered, but they don't necessarily trigger themselves yeah. And that's an important distinction. There might be hypervigilance, which you know is certainly an element of an addiction and drama. And underlying any addiction and drama is underlying trauma. So it, it is embedded within it. It's just the div- it's the sequence to which they have avoided the trauma by chasing the drama. And the mechanisms and tools that they use to maintain that, which then becomes part of their identity, which is often why we see like a victim consciousness as part of those who are addicted to trauma. And their whole sensory system, their smell, their taste, their eyes, their sense of time in relation to the traumas have all adapted, have all modified to be more attuned to the negatives of the world. And so that is what they see and that is then their perception of the world.
0: Yeah. That, that makes total sense. Dr. Scott Lyons, thank you so mm-hmm. much for being on Mentally Stronger. And I hope all of our listeners go pick up a copy of Addicted to Drama, whether they think that they may dabble in drama a little or I guarantee they at least know somebody who is. So I think this book can be helpful for lots of our listeners. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down Dr. Lyon's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of his strategies that I highly recommend. Number one, acknowledge when you're fueling drama. When you're listening to music that reinforces how bad you feel, you might fuel your own bad mood. Or when you let your friend talk for hours about their latest crisis, you actually might be enabling them, not just supporting them. So take a look at your behavior and pay attention to the things you might be doing to fuel drama in your life. Are you getting overly involved in other people's affairs? Are you getting caught up in someone else's constant crises? Are you trying to solve problems for someone who might not even want the problem to be solved? Ultimately, you can't control your situation or how other people behave, but you can control whether you fuel it. Number two, set boundaries with people who love drama. I appreciated that Dr. Lyons talked about setting a time limit with people or even asking them to share something positive about their day. If you frame it that you're working hard to stay positive and positive conversations help you do that, you might be more likely to get some cooperation. I also love the idea of going for a walk or doing an activity together because if you start moving the conversation might start to change. Just remember, you can't talk someone out of spreading drama, but you can manage how much they do it around you. You get to set limits and create rules for how you want to be treated and how you treat other people. But I know it's tough. You want to be a supportive friend or a good listener. But if someone's calling you every day to tell you how horrible their life is, or they're just rehashing something with you over and over again, letting them keep spinning on things that are causing them to feel miserable might not be helpful. You might have to interrupt that pattern, invite them to do something different, and that might be better for them in the long run. But of course, they might not see it that way in the moment. So it's tough, but it might be best for your mental health too to set some limits. And number three, stop the sensory overload. I like that Dr. Lyons said he stopped watching the news because he wanted to be mindful of how much negativity he was taking in. If you can keep your body from being in a constant state of overdrive from too much stimulation, you might be less likely to create drama when things are calm. You can get your body used to having a little more downtime, and you can get more comfortable with less chaos, but it's going to happen slowly. You might also decide to reduce the amount of news you consume. Or in your case, you might stop spending so much free time on social media, or you might spend less time with people who stir up drama. And instead, you could spend your time doing things you love or things that help you find more meaning and purpose. And of course, if you're really struggling, consider talking to a mental health professional. You might benefit from learning how to manage your stress, how to solve problems, and how to get along with other people in healthier ways. So those are three of Dr. Lyon's tips that I highly recommend. Notice ways in which you might be fueling drama around you. Set boundaries with people who love drama. And stop the sensory overload in your own life. To hear more strategies for dealing with drama, check out Dr. Lyon's book, Addicted to Drama. It's filled with strategies that can help you put an end to drama when it shows up in your life. And if you know someone who could benefit from learning how to deal with drama, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, all you have to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. We'll reply with your all-access pass to the course. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to Mentally Stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who is definitely not a fan of drama, Nick Valentine.